I truly think one of the biggest barriers for the next generation to step into their calling is a lack of, of people who are believing in them and breathing life over them and, and senior leaders who are taking them really seriously. Hmm. And, and I do think sometimes there's, there's a place for that that happens in the local church. Like if a young person serving a local church, sometimes there's a pastor in place, there's somebody, but there will be some young leaders in your church communities who are called to start things outside of the local church that will reach people outside of your walls. And those are usually the ones that end up falling through the cracks. How are we also choosing to see the young people who are stepping out, taking risks, leading and evangelizing and discipling in the community and making sure they feel seen and known and supported. They have a place around your table. They have a space to share their fears. And there's a space for them um, to to be acknowledged as a leader, but also to be acknowledged that they're still a young adult and they're still navigating all of the hard and tricky and, and, and difficult parts of being a young adult. Um, and so I think we can, we can absolve that barrier when we choose to see them and acknowledge the season that they're in. You're listening to the City Network Podcast. Our mission is to grow and multiply healthy churches in the Treasure Valley and beyond. Head to thecitynetwork.org for more info on our initiatives to catalyze church transformation and church planting. Here's today's podcast. Welcome to another episode of the City Network podcast. Uh, I am one of the hosts for today. My name is Josh Branham. I'm joined by my co-host, Robert Frazier. What's up, Robert? Hey, man. It's good to be back. You've been carrying the load lately, and so it's it's good to finally be on the podcast with you. A little bit of a duo here. That's great. And then our guest for today is uh, Hannah. Hannah, how's it going? It's going so great. Hey, thanks for having me here. I love City Network. I love this crew. So I feel like I'm back with my family that lives in Boise. This is fun. Nice. <laughs> Hannah was uh, one of our conference speakers last year. So if anyone is uh, interested, you can always go back and check out uh, that. But Hannah leads a uh, organization, a nonprofit called Generation Distinct. And uh, Hannah, just to jump right in, what is Generation Distinct? If somebody, if you were to be like telling someone what you do uh, sure. at a coffee shop, what would you, what would you say to them? Sure. Well, first of all, I would make sure we both had a really good cup of coffee in our hands because coffee is a priority around here. Oh, yeah. um, I would say, uh, really, our mission and our our vision is we we want to use conversations that the next generation is already having conversations around passion, purpose, and justice to bring them into conversations about Jesus, the gospel, and the Great Commission. Um, And we do this through an online cohort that we developed uh, with the collaboration of over 50 leaders from around the world to help us build this. And really, we said, what if we could help the next generation discover the wrong they were born to make right, help them uh, unleash their passion, identify their purpose, all the things that the next generation say they want to do. But what if we could do it in a way that helps them experience Jesus and understand that it is God who actually gave them a heart and a desire for all those things. And so when a young leader comes into one of our cohorts, it's a six-month experience. It's entirely virtual. And they go through it with about 15 other like-minded young leaders from around the globe. And they go through a content that really does help them identify what is the wrong they were born to make right. But through it all, they also end up hearing the gospel and about the person of Jesus and how ultimately Jesus and, and the work that he did, that is the answer to making all things right in the world. But we actually get the invitation of joining him in his work of redemption in the world. And so by the end of the six months, they not only know who they are and what they've been called to, they also understand how it fits in with the mission of Jesus in the world. And really what we've been able to do is we're we're unleashing the missional power of the next generation by reaching them with the conversations they're already having. That's awesome. So, so important. Uh, just focusing on raising up emerging leaders, finding, you know, next generation leaders, but people probably can't see you right now as they're listening to the podcast. You yourself are 
one of those younger leaders, right? And uh, just wanted to hear a little bit about your journey in kind of you finding that passion for yourself to, you know, to kind of light that, that fire and light that spark in other people. So if you could share just a little bit about, you know, uh, how, how generation distinct, and there's, there's a, a book that you wrote that's part of that and just where that, that journey kind of came from, from, uh, from the start to, you know, where, where it is today. Sure. Well, I had the privilege of being raised in a great church and not a perfect church. In fact, it ended up that there was a lot of brokenness that came out of that church. But it was great for me, not because of the famous pastor we had that eventually fell, not because of the huge building that we were in or the cool escalators we had in our building. It was a great church for me because there were a couple of leaders who saw potential in me from a really young age and gave me a space to walk out my unique giftings and callings in my local church. When I was 12 years old, there was a woman on staff at the church in the children's ministry who uh, noticed I was really good in front of people. I was uh, not very shy. I was doing theater at the time as a kid, and they knew I liked being on stage. They threw me up in front of the kid and said, why don't you teach the Bible stories? And so at 12 years old, I was teaching the Bible stories to a room full of, you know, 100 kids and learning about what it felt like to speak about Jesus in front of people. And that woman would take me out for coffee and talk with me and hear my heart. And that was really the first opportunity I had to lead at such a young age and understand that my giftings was not a distraction to the local church. It was actually what I could use to build a local church. And that continued to be a theme all throughout my life. Different leaders who came into my life saw gifting in me, saw calling, saw potential, and literally said, hey, what if you could use that to build the kingdom of God? And I've always been more of a doer than anything. And so I truly believe that was one of the most important reasons why I ended up staying in church was because there was a space for me to use my unique giftings to further the mission of Jesus in the world. And so as I reflected on that and I realized, man, I have a role in the mission of Jesus. This is exciting. When I was about 16, I started to say, what does this mean for the rest of my life? And I had this moment where I kind of prayed the ultimatum prayer, right? And I said, all right, Jesus, you can have my entire life. I want to do this kind of stuff. I want to build your kingdom. I want to be on mission. I want to serve and sacrifice. What do you want me to do? And through a series of prayers and conversations and some books I was reading, he ended up giving me this vision. And it was at this moment where I was sitting, reading this book that presented a lot of the major injustices that exist in the world. And I thought I was going to go out and start something that solved a major injustice because that sounded really exciting for a 16 year old. And so I would read a chapter about homelessness and I thought, oh my goodness, this is my passion. I'm going to go save all the homeless people. Right. And then I turned the page and about orphans across the globe. And I thought, oh no, 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 never mind. This is my passion. I'm going to go save all the orphans. Right. And chapter after chapter and justice after injustice. I got to the end of the book and honestly felt more confused than I was when I started. Mm, I said, yeah. God, I don't want to do that. I mean, I want to serve you. I want to go all in. What is it that you want me to do with my life? And it was in that moment where the vision became clear. And I felt this impression that he was giving me where he was saying, hey, I'm not calling you to go solve all of the injustice in the world, but instead I want to use you to empower a generation to make wrong things right in the world. And in so doing, you'll have a greater impact. And so I ran up to my my bedroom at the time, my 16-year-old bedroom. I had this whiteboard. I started drawing out all these ideas and plans for what it would be like one day to, again, help the next generation, not just know what they're passionate about, but actually develop a strategy so we could see those passions become action. Because as I grew older after that 16-year-old vision, what I started to recognize was there was a major gap between the passion I saw in the next generation and the action I was seeing in their lives. A lot of us, the next generation, we say we want to change the world. We say we want to fight for justice. We say we want to do something with our life that matters. But more often than not, if you look at our lives, you'll see very little impact actually being made. You'll see very little changing, very little sacrifice, very little impact. And what I recognized was there was a gap between passion and action. 
And I recognize mm-hmm. that if we could fill that gap with strategy, then we could see so much more impact coming out of the lives of the next generation. And so that is what we set out to do. And around that time, we also started to see, I was 20 years old at, at this point, I had been serving at my local church for a couple of years on staff. And I started to see, as you do, when you're 20 years old and you're still at the church, a lot of your friends starting to leave the church. Yeah, for sure. That's where those numbers got really real. We all know the numbers, right? The 70% that leave the church after high school. And I started to ask a lot of questions of why, where are they going? What's, what's disenchanting them about the church? What, what's going on here? And the more conversations I had, I heard a lot of the same kinds of things. And it was a lot of Hannah, I want to go change the world. I want to go make an impact in the world. I want to go do really important things with my life. But there was this disconnect that they didn't believe that could actually happen in a life of following Jesus. And that was kind of the final piece we needed. And we said, well, what if all of this is connected? What if we could actually help the next generation using the conversations, again, they're already having around wanting to change the world, wanting to make an impact, wanting to use our life for something that matters. And we could pair it help them understand that it's actually the the lord of the universe the creator of their soul that gave them that heart for that and then what if we could help them understand that now they get to be unleashed to be missional agents of change in the world and we help give them an actual strategy to accomplish that we give them real direction mentorship coaching how much more we see this missional force emerge from the next generation to not just see them know Jesus, but to watch them go out and reach their friends and their communities, their neighborhoods, their cities, and their worlds with the name of Jesus. And so that is really kind of what the heart behind it was. And from there, we uh, I started to talk to anybody who would listen, built a, a website, started to create some things, spread the word. And um, we launched the official program, the cohorts, about 18 months ago. We've seen about 130 young leaders from eight different countries and 20 different states come into our cohorts and we're watching them now graduate and make actual lasting impact, reaching people with the gospel we would never reach. And it's been, mm. it's been a really wild and exciting ride. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I love, I love one piece about that. I, I'm looking back at the history of youth movements over the last 30 or 40 years. You're you're like what a really young millennial, really old Gen Z. You're like that. Yeah, like the you know, millennial, like right in the middle. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a I'm a zennial, the ex ex millennial. So I'm the <laughs> oldest millennial. Yep. Um, but what when I was a kid, it was all about inspiration. They'd put us in a room, get us fired up, you know, and they would just yell at us about, "Don't you want to make a difference in the world?" And so millennials got this like deep sense of our our purpose is to change the brokenness, like. Uh, the information waves of the internet kind of brought brought the brokenness to the world of the world to our fingertips that had never happened before. And so we grew up just much more aware of not just individual issues at hand, but like the systems that like did that. And then what happened was millennials are as a group, we're very optimistic. Mm -hmm. We believe that we can make change happen, but that hasn't been borne out in the sort of change that we've wanted to see. And as we get older, we're getting more jaded. We're getting more like a sense of, oh gosh, it it didn't happen because I didn't start that organization. Or look at those guys who did that thing, you know, about, like, I I always think about those, uh, those guys that made the documentary about Coney and like had this like big vision of like ending child um, warfare in Africa. And it turned out to have like all this brokenness involved in that. And I think it just jaded people. Absolutely. But what I love about what you're doing is you're asking, how do we, how do we help young people become the kind of people who make a difference? Exactly. It's not just about vision. It's not just about the idea, but it's about the formation of the person because our stories are so deeply embedded in how we make a difference. Yes. And so I, I love that you guys are doing that. When you think about who you're trying to serve, like what, what are the stories? What are those avatars in your head? You look out and you go this story, this person is who we're trying to, who we're trying to connect with. It's been really humbling to see real people come through this, right? Because for so long, it was just this vision. And we had, we had literal avatars where we came up with the the audience that we want to reach one day and we were hoping and praying, but now to see them that they're really, they're people, they're real people, right? I was just on a phone call 
with one of them this morning and a coaching call with one of them, you know, earlier in the day. And I mean, it's just amazing to see the impact they're creating. Uh, one of our, I mean, there's so many stories I could tell. I, well, I'll share one. I was on the coaching call with earlier this morning. Her name's Kirsten and she lives on the East coast and she had come into the program after experiencing some church hurt and feeling very disconnected to a local church, she had just left a local church because of it was in between, not really sure what it looked like for her to get back involved, but knowing she still loved Jesus. And um, she had a lot of big dreams and wasn't executing them yet. And so she came into this program and she's so bright. She's brilliant. She's just finished her first semester of master's, her master's degree now. But she came into this program asking a lot of questions. And now after the six months, she went through our visionary track, which is a super cool track, which is all for people who are passionate about doing some sort of thing in the arts or creativity realm, but understand that the mission of Jesus can be connected to that. And she's a singer songwriter. And so she, out of that, she ended up releasing her first single on Spotify. Uh, she also started a podcast because one thing she identified is she had felt for a long time, like she wasn't quite sure how she fully fit in with the Christian society, the Christian culture. And she wanted to help every young person know that they had a place at God's table, even if they don't feel like they fit in with the Christian culture. So she started a podcast called the table for two, like what you're, what you think you're too much of it belongs to the table. She launched that podcast uh, right at the end of the cohort. And now uh, she's seen, you know, hundreds of young people listening to her podcast and she's getting to reach these people. And she tells me these stories and it gets me so excited because Again, the whole idea that Jesus brought to earth was this idea of multiplication, right? Like he invested in the 12 who then went and, and literally spread the church to the ends of the earth. Getting the opportunity to invest in these young leaders, it's so exciting because we got to invest in Kirsten. Now Kirsten's reaching hundreds of people with the hope of Jesus yeah. through her past that we would never reach, right? Or mm. there's... A woman, a young woman named Jessica, who went through our program, and she's a teacher. Like she's a full time job. She's a full person, twenty six, and she just was feeling she was involved in her local church, but didn't have a lot of direction of how does she make an impact. Like what does she do? She's a teacher. She goes to church. She was living the good Christian life, but she needed more. And through her experience in the cohort, she took our evangelism track, which the our evangelism track is all about um, debunking what we have come to believe evangelism is and recognizing it's creating relationships to bring people to Jesus. And so at the end of um, her experience in the cohort, she set these goals and her goals were all about, I want to get to know three teachers that I work with intentionally. I'm going to help them. I'm going to build relationships. And then this much lawyer, I'm going to make sure to start dropping that I love Jesus and all. And she had this whole strategy for how she can simply help the teachers in her school know Jesus. She's a 26 year old, right? Or we had another young man who's up, um, I think in Maryland, in Baltimore area. And he had, he was a pastor's kid who th said, what can I do for other people in my area? And so he want, he decided he wanted to start this, this worship gathering for young people in a part of the country that is, there's not a lot of events happening like that. And so it's just amazing. I mean, if we're seeing all these stories of these young people, again, being sent, not, not being told to go leave their environments and find somewhere to serve. They don't have to go across the world. They don't have to even pick up their life and move to a camp to do good work. They can literally look at their own neighborhoods, their own workplaces, their own environments and bring the hope of Jesus there. And so those are the stories that get me excited are these stories of people that are starting things, you know, and we have other ones too. Like some people are starting nonprofits. I was just on a coalition call, which is our community of all of our cohort graduates last night. And one of them is, is about to go through the process to start the nonprofit that she dreamed up through the cohort that's going to educate kids about social justice issues. Like, how cool is that, right? So it's just, it's so amazing to see these young people doing things and reaching people that I would never be able to reach. And at the end of the day, I just think Jesus was so brilliant when it comes to his strategy to build a church through multiplication. It's amazing to watch. Yeah, that's awesome. I, uh, it's so cool what you're doing. Uh, just want to encourage you with just pouring into leaders, pouring into young people, doing what really 
that Sunday school or that kids ministry leader did with you, giving them a shot, right. Giving them a chance. And, uh, and we need, we need more of that in the church, right. Around the world, especially in America. What are some of the, I guess, barriers that you see maybe in your own, you know, in your own journey in growing in your leadership, and then maybe even you're hearing from some of these generation distinct cohorts, some of these coaching calls, where I know for many, uh, many, maybe young people listening or church leaders, they're even noticing, sometimes there's those things that kind of squash the vision or the fire, you know, they, they put the wet blanket on. So, so what are some of those uh, different barriers or opposition or resistance that you've encountered, especially with young leaders trying to pursue that passion and that calling that God has on their life? Yeah, it's great. I, I think what's interesting about the next generation of leaders that I often try and explain to pastors who are even above 35 is I'll say, do you remember when you were in your late teens and twenties and you were still trying to figure out what you wanted to go to college for? You were trying to figure out what major, once you got there, do you change your major again? You were trying to figure out your roommate situation. You were trying to handle becoming an adult for the first time and moving out of your parents' house. Do you remember all the transition to filing your taxes by yourself for the first time? Like, do you remember learning that that person that you thought was going to be your forever spouse, like broke up with you. Like, do you remember all of the change, the marriages, the first apartment, the, the debt from college, the financial strain of being your first career? Like, do you remember all of those crazy times as a young person? And then I say, and do you recognize that if you want young people to lead, they're trying to lead in the midst of doing all those crazy times as a young adult. Yeah. And that's, that's a lot. Like, I think a lot of times senior leaders forget that although, yes, there are different challenges, I'm sure when you're older, when you have children and a mortgage and a home, whatever, but there's a really unique set of challenges that a young person who's just trying to make ends meet and handle their parent who's getting older and figure out what it means to date all while trying to walk into their God-given calling, there's some really unique challenges there. And so what I think is really important is for senior leaders to recognize that the young people in your community, they need to lead. They, they do. They've been called to it. But in the midst of that, they are going to need a covering. Like they need somebody who will look at them and say, hey, I see you. I believe in you. Like, I know that you're making sacrifices. I, I see that, right? When I was younger, I needed somebody to see that when I was 18, 19, 20, choosing to spend my time building my local church and investing in young people and discipling young women and building Generation Synced, I needed somebody to look at me and say, hey, I see that you're choosing a life that's countercultural. Hey, I see that all these young people over here, they're doing, they're doing one thing and you're choosing to go a different direction. That's hard and that can be lonely and that can be stretching and exhausting. But how can I help you? How can I come alongside of you? I truly think one of the biggest barriers for the next generation to step into their calling is a lack of of people who are believing in them and breathing life over them and, and senior leaders who are taking them really seriously. Mm. And, and I do think sometimes there's, there's a place for that that happens in the local church. Like if a young person serving a local church, sometimes there's a pastor in place, there's somebody, but there will be some young leaders in your church communities who are called to start things outside of the local church that will reach people outside of your walls. And those are usually the ones that end up falling through the cracks because there's no pastor whose job it is to shepherd the people that are trying to evangelize the teachers in their school, right? Like there's no setup for that. And so what I think is really important is for us to make sure that, yes, we're valuing the young people that are serving in the worship band and volunteering in youth ministry. How are we also choosing to see the young people who are stepping out, taking risks, leading and evangelizing and discipling in the community and making sure they feel seen and known and supported? They have a place around your table. They have a space to share their fears. And there's a space for them um, to be to be acknowledged as a leader, but also to be acknowledged that they're still a young adult and they're still navigating all of the hard and tricky 
and 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 difficult parts of being a young adult. Um, and so I think we can we can absolve that barrier when we choose to see them and acknowledge the season that they're in. I I love what you're describing is not just generation distinct, but what you're describing is the way that Jesus called his disciples. When you look at the way Jesus was looking around and he was a known quantity within Galilee. And so when he, when he went to these young men who were out, just, they were young adults. They were probably between 13 and 20. They were hanging out on the seashore, working with their dads or in their shops or when Jesus approached them, he, he showed them that he saw them. Like he spoke to them directly. It wasn't a, Hey, if anybody wants to join me, come along. (laughs) It was you, Andrew, you, Simon, you, John, I want you. I see something in you that no one saw that the, the rabbis in your synagogue didn't see. I see something in you that's different and come and follow me and I'll teach you how to make fishers of men. And like, that's that uh, what you're describing is, is discipleship. Um, and it should be the way that when we look around our churches, our, our question shouldn't be, how can we get more young people to come show up to consume our church services? The question should be, how can I get the kids who are here engaged in serving the community? Not treat them like consumers, but treat them like contributors. Even I had a conversation with one of our leaders this week. I said, I want all of our 13-year-olds to consider themselves as adults, as yeah. a part of our community as members. Because if they do, they will they will see their identity formed as a part of this community rather than as adjacent to the community. Right. And that's exactly. that's what you're doing is at 25, these students are getting out of college and they haven't ever been told, we see you, you have a purpose, and I'm going to help you develop those tools. But what you're doing is saying, well, we got to go back and make sure that we do those things yeah, so that yeah. they can get reengaged. Okay. I love yeah. that. Great, great work, Anna. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, one of the one of the things that's that is so um I guess insightful about the work that you're doing, which probably a lot of church leaders would love a window into, is just so many conversations with uh with young younger leaders who have a passion to be used by God. And so what are I guess some of the trends or hunches that you have that church leaders should know about engaging the next generation uh, in pursuing their callings and even in God's kingdom? What are some of the, are you noticing any common threads or any kind of, you know, even predictions or hunches just about, yeah, this is what it's going to take if the church is going to engage younger leaders so that the kingdom will continue to grow beyond us? I am so excited about the kind of church that Gen Z can lead us into if we will let them. I really am. Here's why. When I look back at the early church, this church that was started by these unlikely young men, just like what you just said, Robert, these these teens, these 20-somethings that Jesus trusted to launch this movement that is still alive 2,000 years ago. When I look at what it started as, I see so many of the same qualities in those young people as I see in Gen Z. This, this desire for, for radical generosity, for radical commitment. I mean, these young people, they they were willing to give up everything they had to see this movement expand. I mean, they were sacrificing, they were gathering, they were, they were galvanizing, they were casting vision, they were linking arms. There was so much in those young people that I see in Gen Z. When I talk with a lot of Gen Zers, a lot of young leaders, the interesting reality we have to accept is that they they are the generation that saw millennials, like what you were saying, Robert, that we talked about. And again, I'm right in the middle. So I, I have a love for both of these generations. We're slack to this. That's, that's our I thing. Know. That's what we do. Exactly. <laughs> we talked a really big game. We really did as millennials. We said we were going to change the world. We said we we're going to fight for justice. And what Gen Z is seeing is they're looking at our lives and they're seeing not a lot of change. In fact, some of them would argue things are getting worse. And so Gen Z, for better or for worse, 
course, I'm not even going to argue if this is a good thing or a bad thing, because I'm not sure. But whether or not we like it, Gen Z is going to do this with or without the church. They just are. And we saw this in COVID. I mean, there were so many stories of young people who, in the midst of COVID, they were getting together in, in backyards. They were doing these Zoom Bible studies where they were baptizing each other in bathtubs and taking communion over Zoom. And again, no pastors were leading this. This is not a church. These were young people saying, I have a hunger. I want to gather. I want to worship. I want to do this. They were they were getting creative about how to do this and, and not waiting for what the church was going to give them of how to do it. They were just going to do it. Now, here's the risk in that. The risk is that we're going to have an entire generation leading without any covering or discipleship. And I do not believe that was God's strategy church. The opportunity is if we as leaders can humble ourselves and instead of forcing Gen Z to fit into the mold of what American church has become, if we're willing to open up our hands and invite them to shape, invite their voice into the decisions, invite them to lead alongside of us, what if we could see Gen Z be more committed to the local church than any generation before? I mean, there's just so much opportunity here. And so I want to encourage church leaders to not be afraid of the innovation that Gen Z will bring. Because if we're um, if we're not afraid of it, we can partner with it. But if we're afraid of it, they will sense that and they will leave. I, I truly believe that one of the best things that every senior pastor can do right now is to have a group of Gen Zers they're meeting with regularly. I mean, my I'm so grateful. I mean, I'm 27 right now, and so I'm again Gen Z millennial. But even so, a lot of our our generation and cohorts. They're between the ages of 18 to 30, and a lot of them are in that 18 to 25 range. So I'm getting to spend so much time with, we've had, you know, 130 of these young leaders now learning and, and understanding, and they're in different contexts, and I'm learning so much from them. Every senior pastor, I believe, can say, I'm going to find three Gen Zers in my neighborhood, in my area, in my community, maybe the friends of your children who I can meet with on a regular basis and don't come there ready to, to, to teach. That's for another context, but enter into those hangouts, take them out for coffee, treat them to a dinner. If you take them to Chick-fil-A, they're going to love you forever. Like treat them to some food or some coffee and just ask them questions, ask them what they care about, ask them what's exciting, what's scary. Um, I've learned so much just asking some questions, um, even to the young woman I disciple, because yes, I run Generation Sync, but I'm still a follower of Jesus, which means I'm still called to just have local disciples I'm discipling. And so the young woman I disciple, I'll ask some questions like, hey, what did you think about when this pastor said that? Or how did that make you feel when the church is kind of known for these things? Or what did you think about that one thing that was in the news? How, how did that hit you as a, as a young person? And, and I get to now hear not just the statistics, but the real stories of real young people. And so um, I, I truly believe there is an incredible opportunity for us to partner with the next generation because they're going to lead with or without us. Mm. For sure. Um, I know you probably have, have seen this, not just in Gen Z, but just, uh, you know, any follower of Jesus, any person really where they, they're not super engaged, you know, they, they've maybe bought into a different vision, maybe a consumeristic vision, maybe just a complacent vision for their life. Uh, they're coasting maybe, what would you say to someone like that? You know, you're, you're at the coffee shop. And maybe you've asked a few bigger questions of the person and it's almost like their eyes kind of gloss over and they're like, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm just content, not really making a difference with my life. Uh, well, you know, what would you say to someone to help kind of wake them up or shake them out of that? Um, or, or, or would you try to, you know, like what would be your approach with someone who you feel like, Maybe, maybe they're Gen Z or maybe they're, they're not, but they just don't really have a, a bigger vision for their life. Yeah. I, I was, yeah, there's so much there. I, I was really grateful to be um, in a church when I was a teenager that called me to discipleship. And 
it, there was this moment, uh, I was part of a church plant and there was about, you know, 30 of us in the beginning and I was the only high schooler. And so naturally I was just part of all of the adult environments. And so um, there was one moment where they were having like an all church meeting. And again, I was the only high schooler, I think in the room. And they were talking that one of the big strategies of the church was discipleship. And so they said, Jesus had, you know, the, the 72, the 12 and the three, and so we want to encourage every person in this room to have the three. And I was too naive to recognize he probably wasn't talking to me as a teenager and just accepted it. And so I said, all right, who's younger than me that I could disciple? And so I thought there were some middle schoolers that maybe I could start discipling who were the kids of some of the people who were part of the church plant. So anyway, long story short, I started discipling a few young women, three young women when I was 17 or 18. And that group grew and it grew to about eight young women that I discipled all the way through when they graduated from high school and went into college. And some of them, I'm still a part of their lives. And they were the junior bridesmaids in my wedding and just an incredible part of my life. Um, and a lot of them are on very different paths, truly. Like some of them, they've never wavered. Others of them have been ups and downs. Others of them have decided that they don't want to follow Jesus. And so even before Generation Things started, this was an amazing space where I got to learn what it looks like to walk alongside of young people in a variety of different spaces. And one of them, I, um, she was, um, her and her friend were two of the young women I discipled and one was home for college. Um, and so they came over to our apartment uh, last Christmas season, I think it was. We were talking about what it was like uh, when Aaron, you know, is now here and he's going to hear about what it would like to be discipled by me when I was a high schooler and all of that. And uh, she brings up this one moment and she said, Hannah, do you remember that one time we went to Chili's? And I said, well, which time? Because Chili's had like the 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 bottomless chips and salsa. And so it was nice. a really discipleship date to take them for the bottomless chips and salsa. So she clarified which time I said, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And she said, that day I asked you a really big question. Do you remember? I said, yeah, I, I definitely remember that question. And she told me this moment that I didn't know in the moment at Chili's. She said that day I had decided I was going to ask, I was going to tell you that I wasn't sure if I believed in Jesus. And I was going to dictate what I did next based on how you responded. And I had no idea. I mean, I probably was 20 at the time that she had this ultimatum kind of of pressure on this question. But I remember sitting down at Chili's and she literally looked at me at one time and she said, Hannah, I just need you to know that I'm not sure if I believe in Jesus right now. And in that moment, not because I was anything brilliant, but because of God's grace, I was able to just look at her and I said, that's okay. Thanks for telling me. And let's keep journeying through this together. If you have any questions, I would love to talk to you about that. I, I would love to just continue this journey with you. And she said it was because of my response that she decided to stay in church and to stay pursuing Jesus because there was space in our relationship for her to doubt. And that I wasn't going to, to, to rush and fix it. I wasn't going to convince her right in that moment where she had to follow Jesus. I wasn't going to try and, and change her mind, but I was willing to sit with her in the midst of her doubt that she said she still would give Jesus another try. And because of that, she continued to, to pursue and follow and, and, and look more into Jesus. And so why I say that is I truly believe that we often are so concerned out of a beautiful place of wanting the next generation to love Jesus, of wanting them to have the abundant life that Jesus has invited them into. But out of that place, sometimes we try so hard to fix their problems that we push them so much farther away. Mm. And I truly believe in Gen Z, they are a generation who desperately needs the space to doubt, to ask the big questions, to wonder, to just be curious and to not be labeled as a deconstructionist just because they have a few questions, that it's okay. Um, and, and also that it's okay for them to even question things that we never question. Things like, what's the purpose of the church? Things like, why do I gather? Things like, is it really important for me to listen to a pastor speaking on Sunday? What, or can I just go and spend time with Jesus? Like they're, they're asking these really basic fundamental questions and we can either try and say, no, no, you have to go to church the way that I did. And you have to do it all the way that I did. And you have to read the Bible every single morning at 6am and you have to do it just like this. 
or we can open up our hands and we can create space where they can doubt and wonder and be curious. And if they're curious enough, they'll go back to who Jesus is and they'll read his word and they'll end up with a faith that's stronger than anything you could have forced them into on your own, in your own regard. So um, yeah, I, I'd see that they need a space to doubt and we have an opportunity to create those safe spaces um, in our churches, in our communities, in our homes, and just in our relationships. That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, that's, I I think that's so, and pouring into the next generation is, is inviting, you know, entering into the doubt, entering into that. And I think just leaders have to be ready. You got to be ready for that. Yeah, uh, yeah definitely. Well, and, the, and most Gen Z isn't deconstructing God or faith, they're deconstructing church. Yes. And that's, that can feel like a threat to church leaders, but it should sound like good news to kingdom leaders because Amen. the next generation is asking what part of church shouldn't belong in God's kingdom and what should we jettison and what should we keep? And a lot of them, like what I'm trying to do with young adults when I meet with them is get down to the basic premise of what is church. It's people learning the way of Jesus by his grace in community. Yes. That's it. And once you get down to the simplicity of it, young adults go, I actually want to be a part of that. I don't want to be a part of that thing down the road from my house that my parents go to that talks about conservative politics. But I do want to be a part of a community that's learning the way of Jesus and is being good news. That sounds like good news to me. And so I, I want to encourage like some amount of deconstruction to go, you know what? Your concerns are valid and the church has problems. And let's build something new together rather than let's just forget and walk away from the project of God's kingdom coming in power through his people transformed, you know? Right, right. And I think it catches them off guard when we're not afraid of their doubts of the church, right? I mean, I I sometimes wonder how pastors would would feel certain pastors would feel about the conversations I have with young adults because they'll come to me with their concerns about the church and I'm I often agree with them you know and and I think they're it's disarming for them to recognize that a Christian leader can agree that there is brokenness in the church right it's it's as though you know if we were part of a family and we all knew that the parents we're having issues because we saw them fighting all the time and we knew that there was unfaithfulness, but the, the parents always pretended like our family was perfect. I mean, of course, those kids would see that there was some mm -hmm. really messed up stuff happening. But if we as yeah. leaders can say, you're right, the church, the church is broken. This is a part that I don't like either. This is a part that I don't believe reflects the heart of Jesus. So let's be a part of the solution. It, it invites them into the center. Like it invites them into the room where it's going down. It invites them to rebuild. And I mean, in many ways, millennial, we fought so hard to get millennials out of this consumer space into a contributor. And now Gen Z is trying to contribute and we're afraid of what they're trying to contribute. So we're keeping them away. Yeah. So either we have to be well, okay with yeah. them becoming a consumer generation or invite them to contribute the way that they, that they're being used by God to contribute. Yeah. The problem isn't the brokenness in the church. The problem is the cover up, right? Exactly. Like the problem is always the cover up and us pretending like, like we're trying to protect the institution by pretending that mom and dad didn't fight on the way to church instead right. of just going, you know what? There's brokenness here yeah. and yeah. we need the gospel just as much as you do. And there's no perfect people and there's no perfect leaders. And like this, this really comes down to like a question of ecclesiology where are we going to hand the keys of the kingdom over to everyone and say, you are a priest, a part of this royal nation set apart by God to be a part of his kingdom or... <laughs> Uh, you know, like the Protestant Reformation said, hey, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. Now sit down, shut up and listen to the sermon. Like that's the way we treated it. Like right. we, the, the Catholic Church said, no, you're not a part of this thing at all. This is totally run by us. And the Protestant Reformation said, yeah, you're totally part of it, but you're really not because you don't really have a place here. And so it's like, are we going to open up the doors and say, you belong and all of us are responsible for this thing that we're building together. It's not just leaders and invited kids to say, hey, help us build something better. If you got a problem with what we're handing to you, great. We need okay. you. Okay. Go up and be a part of this thing. That's right. That's right. That's right. And and how amazing. I mean, the next generation wants to feel like they're needed somewhere. 
And so often mm-hmm. they don't feel that way. And especially in churches that appear like everything is perfect and shiny and great, it doesn't scream that they need the next generation to be a part of it. It actually screams that they once more don't have a space, right? One of the young women I was discipling for for a season, it broke my heart because the church where she was at was so big that it wasn't connecting to her. And she found a space in her school with kids that were in a completely different crowd. And she looked at me and she said, Hannah, I finally found a place where I can belong. And my heart broke to know that it was easier to find the outside of the church than within it. And man, what, what if we could say to the next generation, no, your space is right here. We're going to give you a voice. We're going to give you the keys. We're also going to give you mentorship and discipleship. Like we're going to give you all the things your heart longs for. And in the midst of that, you're going to encounter a Jesus who is so proximate. I mean, we have the things the next generation is longing for. And if we're willing to give it to them, man, there's no telling what can happen in the future of the church. Yeah, I think, you know, for so many church leaders, we've kind of taken it for granted that we should always have the right to (laughs) disciple someone, but you kind of, you need to earn that right through relationship, not, not just because of. It's a little signature on your email, right? That says you're a pastor or you're a youth director or whatever, yeah. right? Right. right? And, uh, you know, especially, you know, in this day, we've got to be authentic and authenticity, you know, eats cool for breakfast, right? right. right. And instead of, instead of trying to be cool or trying to be relevant, we, we've got to learn to be authentic. We've got to learn real relationships Ooh. even though they're messy invite the gospel into it that's there's so much good stuff thank you thank you for sharing all that i just have one more question for you you've yeah. got a bunch of here we go a uh, bunch of church leaders on here listening what would be maybe one encouragement or maybe even challenge that you would give to people who are asking these same kind of questions right they're thinking about uh, how do I, how do I multiply? How do I raise up more leaders? All this sort of stuff. What would be the encouragement or the challenge that you would leave us with? I would invite you to invite a young leader into your life, not just for a coffee hang. And that's really good. Not just for a once, once a month meeting. And that's fantastic, but inviting them into your life. We have a generation of young people who desperately want to understand what it means to lead. And yet so often as we, as leaders, we close our lives off and we try and protect it. And my life was transformed by leaders who welcomed me into their lives. Um, mentors who were very busy leading churches and speaking and writing books and yet would say, hey, I have, I'm going grocery shopping this afternoon. Do you want to do discipleship conversations while I'm grocery shopping. And I would say, yes, I'll, I'll be there. Right. Or I would show up at my, my mentor's house, um, woman who's amazing. She's been discipling me for about seven years and she would, you know, her kids would be playing downstairs. Her house was a mess. She was everywhere. She runs down with, with wet hair. And that's just where she's at in her real life. And yet she invited me into it. And, pastors who allowed me to come and shadow them as they spoke and and men and women who gave me space at their tables to have a voice and and to impact things at a very young age and so I would invite you to to have a shadow like to have that person Mm -hmm. where even your community your networks your staff starts to almost laugh and say hey you know that you know that person that shadows uh, I just heard my husband on a call with another leader yesterday and they kind of made a joke. They said, Hey, what's the name of your little prodigy again? And that prodigy is this young guy like that, that follows Aaron around because he's trying to become a leader like Aaron, my husband. And it's important for us to have these young people who have access to our life. They know where we live. They know our spouses, our kids, they understand, they get to watch how we react to things, how we treat the people in our lives, how we lead, how we face hard times, how we talk when we're tired. They get to see the real parts of us as leaders. And for a generation desperately questioning if there's any authentic real leaders left, it's an opportunity for them to be welcomed to our life and for them to see, hey, I'm not perfect. So you're not going to find that 
but you will find an authentic leader and you will find that I'm not afraid to show you my life because I have nothing to hide from you. And so I invite you to find somebody that can become your shadow, invite them. It doesn't have to be another event on your calendar, but it can be something that you add to your life that will impact the life of a young leader forever. I love that. Can I be Aaron's prodigy too? Aaron, <laughs> is that all right? Is he really yeah, right? that's really why I'm wearing him. Just trying to be prodigy. Oh, Listen, man. anytime I can get with the with you guys is always amazing. So thanks for being on today, Hannah. That was awesome. Such an honor. We love, Aaron and I love the City Network. When we were out in Boise, I mean, we literally, when we travel other places, we say there is something happening in Boise. I've never experienced church partnership, church collaboration, like I saw that couple of days in Boise. And so I just want to thank you for the ways that you all are revolutionizing what it looks like to have churches be on mission together. And I, I hope and pray that it starts in the Valley and it spreads all across our nation because our city needs a little bit more of what you all have. So thank you for what you're doing. Well, thanks for jumping in. It was such a fun two days having you guys just well, be a part of the whole thing. It was awesome. So fun. I loved it. So good. Thank you. Where, where could people, if they want to learn more about you or about Generation Distinct, uh, where's the best place to send them? Yes, they can go to generationdistinct.com. Um, if they're interested, maybe they're a young leader who wants to go into one of our cohorts, or maybe you're a pastor and you're interested in th how this can impact your young adults. We have some churches, even we had a couple churches in Boise that said, hey, we want to put some of our young leaders into a Generation Distinct cohort and invest in their leadership in that way. And you can do that. Um, you can reach out to me at Hannah at generationdistinct.com for more info, or you can follow us on socials. I'm Hannah G. Barnett um, or hannahgranowski.com for more information. All the places. Awesome. Very cool. Thanks again for hopping on here and uh, for all that you're doing for the kingdom. Thank you. Such an honor to be on with both of you guys. Yeah, give Aaron a hug for me and we'll see you guys. Are you guys going to be at Exponential in March? Absolutely. We will be there. All right. All right. We'll see you over there. Sounds good. Thank you guys so much, Alyssa, your rock star. Thank you for making this happen. And yeah, love your all's team. The best. Thanks for listening to the City Network Podcast. If you have any comments or questions, join the discussion on our Facebook group at thecitynetwork.org slash group. Or sign up at the website to subscribe to updates from our blog and podcast.